you're listening to Interzone Pod. My name is Gareth Jelly. I'm the editor of Interzone and Interzone Digital. And today I'm talking to Taker Maria Smiths. Hello, Taker. Thank you very much for coming on the show today. Uh, yeah, uh, maybe just for Interzone listeners, you could uh, kind of introduce yourself as a writer and uh, yeah, tell people tell people what, what they can find already and what they have to look forward to. Thank you very much for having me on, Gareth. Um, and I always, my mind always goes blank at this moment. Who am I? Where am I? <laughs> uh, yeah, my name is Take Maria Smits, um, and I'm a freelance editor and writer and ex-publisher as well. I used to run my own small press, uh, but now I mainly focus on doing freelance editing jobs and uh, writing as much as possible. Um, but that's always tricky when you've got so many uh when you've got so many things to do you know kids to keep busy in the summer holidays <laughs> etc et which i'm sure you probably know about right um writing wise i've got my debut short story collection um coming up it's going to be published on 23rd of august and that's called umbilical and it's coming out with newcom press and I have another short story collection, just a small one coming out, hopefully by the end of the year, which I don't think I can say much more about. And uh, yeah, so that I'm excited about that. And I've got various novels in various states of progress, <laughs> um, I think, like many writers. Um, and uh, very, very pleased to recently have a story called The November Room or Leaving the Labyrinth Out on iz digital which was yeah, great that's, yeah that's, that, that, that's actually a good place to to start sort of like like that particular story um could, could you could you sort of tell people who maybe haven't found it yet a, a little bit about that yeah sure um well i've got a very clear memory of reading uh susanna clark's piranesi and i think like, like lots of people i sort of fell in love with that book and just got a real sense of um, the milieu as a very magical place with all these marble statues um, and these marble steps. And it was, it was a wonderful place, a sort of liminal place almost between worlds. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I really wanted to recreate that, that sort of feeling of magic or otherness. Um, and I somehow wanted marble to be in there, but I am quite a, um, I'm quite a logical thinker. So to me, I had to have marble there for a reason. So I made my protagonist a sculptor. And so she sculpts with marble and that kind of gave me a sense of, um, what my protagonist did. Um, but then I had that whole kind of idea that I thought would be lovely to, to write a story that's set in this world. Um, but then one day I was going into my son's bedroom and he has this calendar up on this wall um, and it's always got, it's got cats on it because we're all big fans of cats. Um, but he, he, he hadn't changed it to the next month. Um, and I think it was like stuck on a particular month. I can't remember which one it was, whether it was June or July mm -hmm. or something, but I was like, Look, whenever I come in here, it's June. <laughs> when it's not June, it's like August or whatever. Um, and he's like, "Oh, yeah, I'm go I'm going to change it in a minute. I'm I'm going to do it in a bit." But he's always like too busy. Um, and uh, I sort of just literally stepped away from his bedroom, and I was like, "Oh, that's kind of quite um, an interesting idea. What happens if you 
were to go into a room and it was always that mm-hmm. month. Um, and I kind of thought, like, I just really liked that idea. Um, and then I sort of matched it together with the marble landscape. It's a marble mm-hmm. labyrinth. And then I knew that my protagonist would be a mother and she would have to basically go very deep into her psyche to um, move around this labyrinth and maybe get stuck in rooms. And there's one room she doesn't, she particularly doesn't want to go into, and that's the November room. And you find out in the story why she doesn't want to go into the November room. So I think that's probably how lots of writers kind of come up with their um, ideas. It, definitely about mashing two different things together. And it's at some point it's sort of like it's like a light bulb goes on and you suddenly realise how this story is going to work. Um, but I think if you just start off with a milieu, if you were just to say, well, there's, the story is a marble labyrinth, you might not quite know where to go from there. But because I then had this sort of idea of the November room or always being stuck in a room, I think that's really what propelled the story forward and helped me in my mind to figure out what it was going to be about, yeah. actually. Um, so, yeah, that's that's in the November room um, or leaving the labyrinth. And, um, yeah, we've, well, we've both received some nice comments about it, haven't we? It's, it's definitely <laughs> one, definitely worth checking out for sure. Yeah, uh, well, I've I, and I've had some, I don't know whether I've mentioned, but I've, I've had some really nice messages from people who said, oh, I've just like totally like, I've, I've, it's made me think um, about moments when I've been parenting. And yeah, we've, we've had some quite interesting conversations and I, I think that's, I'd like to think that's what a good story can do. Just expand your, um, I suppose, just kind of deepen your thinking and maybe make you think in different ways and reassess things that you've done maybe. So th- those are yeah. why I like those stories so much. Um, I mean, as you know, Gareth, we've been doing the, the um, IZ story socials and the, those the stories that really make me think have certain ideas in them or explore the human psyche those are the stories that I get particularly excited about um and obviously they're the kind of stories that I like to write as well so um yeah so anything that's kind of in about the human psyche that I'm interested <laughs> and thinking back to when you you know when you were starting out as as a writer when you first sort of started you know writing short stories who who were the writers you kind of felt influenced by or that maybe you kind of consciously went to, you know, n- not not to emulate, but to sort of, you know, to learn lessons from? Um, I guess that's a very good question. And again, one that I'm probably absolutely going to go blank at the moment. <laughs> but um, I am a big fan of fairy tales. Um, my name, Taker, um, is a Latvian name. It actually does mean fairy tale. And Smiths is a is basically the Latvian form of Smith. And obviously, as we know, a Smith is somebody who works with something. So technically, I'm a fairy tale <laughs> Smith. Um, and I quite like I quite like uh, the sound of that, really, because I do like to work with fairy tales. And I know lots of people might think, oh, well, fairy tales are rather old fashioned or they're twee. But um, there's various books that I've read that really analyze them in deep. And one of them is called um, Women Who Run With the Wolves by Clarissa Pinkola Estes. And it's an amazing book, which takes these um, 
ancient tales, folklore and fairy tales. And she looks at them through a very uh, kind of Jungian perspective. And she talks about archetypal plots. She talks about archetypal characters and how even though on the surface, the fairy tales might just seem like kind of morality tales or just very straightforward tales of, um, you know, princes and princesses. Actually, they tell us a lot about the human psyche and about the universal human experience. So they're actually a lot deeper um, than we might give them credit for. But again, that's it does show that the fact that these stories have been around for hundreds and hundreds of years and they persist to this day um, means, I do, I do feel that it means that they do speak to us as, as humans. And so they must have some sort of archetypal knowledge or, or give us, you know, like we discussed the other day, uh, they give us like a blueprint for life and how we should act in certain situations. Um, you know, you know, for instance, um, something, I mean, a story that I'm always drawn to is, is Bluebeard. And it's about, a naive young woman who has a sense that this this um this man is is a predator and she's absolutely right but she um you know everyone's saying no 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 but he's he, he's rich and he's handsome and he'll make a very good husband for you and there's something inside her saying mm, I'm not so sure about this <laughs> and you know what um Clarissa Pinkolestes says is that we really must listen to our intuitive voices um, when we are in certain situations or around certain people um, and listen to them. But the idea is that society or the mother says, oh, no, 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 he's lovely and he's very rich and he's very powerful. Um, and again, sort of, um, you know, the mother is like, uh, she's supposed to be sort of a metaphor or, or show how society can often um, kind of um, suppress women's fears about certain situations and say, no, everything's nice. Just be nice to um, everybody. Just, you know, smile and, and say everything's, uh, be, a bit, be very agreeable. So I do think that these, these fairy tales actually are quite deep in their wisdom but um if you if you were to solely read them on a sort of very superficial basis they do seem quite black and white but i, I do think they have a lot to say to us still so um yeah that those were probably the kind of first short stories that impressed on me um and then i wrote in a recent blog post about probably one collection that i read a long time ago was will self's gray area that um was probably the first collection of short stories that really resonated with me because it opened my eyes to the possibility of just how you can sort of stretch a story and how it could be in different genres like science fiction or fantasy or literary or, or slightly like horrifying or supernatural. And he, he packs a lot of story into each story. And I think I was very impressed by what he managed to do with each story in that collection. And even though I wasn't immediately, um, I was just, I was a reader then in my twenties and it, it, it's not like I went and ran out and started writing short stories, but it did impress on me just how powerful a good short story could be. Um, and I suppose I've always just trying been trying to recreate that sense of just how powerful a story can be a short story. You linked sort of fairy tales and you kind of took fairy tales and science fiction for your for, for the issue of Shoreline of Infinity that you edited. Maybe that this is a good point to kind of talk a bit about mm. sort of the background behind that. And also, yeah, just those connections for you between fairy tales and, and science fiction. 
Yeah, that was a really that was really good fun to edit that um, magazine. And and at first I thought, oh, this is really quite niche, mashing together fairy tales and science fiction. But we got the largest like um, response to the call for submissions I think Shoreline had had up to that point, and so it seemed to really resonate with other people. Um, so I think. It, it seems like one that shouldn't really work, but in many ways it does work because what people did was they either gave a um, already a sort of known, a well-known fairy tale, a science fictional twist. So they set it somewhere um, on a completely different planet or solar system or wherever. Um, or they sometimes tried making up their own fairy tales, which, which I have to add is, is a very difficult thing to do. Um and occasionally, um, it was kind of a mashup of everything. It was kind of um, maybe a newer fairy tale, but elements of older fairy tales. So we might recognisably see elements and then adding in some sort of science fiction tropes as well. So, um, yeah, I was really, really pleased with the, um, the submissions that we got. And I was only able to um, accept a very small amount for my um, issue. Um, I think only something like seven out of the 300 <laughs> which was really hard for me to have to make those decisions. It was really tough. Um, but I, at the end of the day, I went with the stories that really connected with me and that I thought would work together as a whole in an anthology because I think that's the thing you've always got to have in mind as an editor. How does this work in the whole of the anthology or the magazine? How how does each piece, how does each piece speak to another piece? And, and you're editing another anthology for uh, Luna, Luna Press Publishing, right? Yes. Which is about a- another story that I think kind of speaks to you. Uh, we, uh, I think, I think maybe, maybe that's something which it, it, it's a great chance to, to talk about the anthology, but also about, yeah, that particular story maybe. Yes. Well, we was, um, had very, kind of checkered, very interesting publication history because um, it was published in 1924 in the US in the English language. And yet it was by a Russian author um, writing it in Russian. And why wasn't it published in Russia? (laughs) So, uh, you know, it's because of the political situation there. um, I think it, it just... It really the the authorities wanted to suppress it, and yet it found a way out because, in essence, the novel is about um, it, it kind of like well a, a totali- it's a, it's about a totalitarian state, and uh, you know the, um, the Russians didn't really want this discussed or read about at the time, so um, it ended up being published. In the US. So it's one of those books that has inspired so many other writers. Um, I mean, George Orwell said it was a direct inspiration for 1984, but other writers have said that they were um, inspired by George Orwell's 1984 or they were inspired by Yevgeny Zemyatin's We. Um, so, so I think it's fascinating the way that these, it sort of, again, it's one of those stories that resonates with people. Because it does, it does speak um, to um, you know our fears about um, about what happened in, in the Soviet Union um, under people like Stalin, and how absolutely horrific that was, and 
And, and I mean, in essence, 1984 kind of repurposed or recycled um, Yevgeny Zamyatin's Wii. Um, and that had that that obviously resonated with the you know Western audience as well, and it's made its way into popular now. The whole dystopian fiction—it's I mean—it's it's totally in our popular culture, and there's so many films and stories and novels about it. So I really felt that as it was coming up to 2024, which is just like un- unbelievable. So it's the hundred year anniversary. I still thought this is relevant today. Um, and obviously, particularly with the war in Ukraine, it is very relevant today. And I feel that Zamyatin is saying we have to we have to stand up to those in power who are going to speak for all Russians because they're not speaking for all Russians. So I think it's very I still think it's a very powerful book. Um, and I felt that there were Probably there was probably enough interest in it where there would be um, short story writers might be inspired to write a short story, kind of not not particularly set in the world. They they can set it in whatever world they want, but there's there's to be some direct link between we and their short story that we could still go, ah, oh, that it it references that, or it's to do with that character, or or some idea in it. Um, and I kind of thought, well, I think that it's it's probably quite niche. There's probably going to be a few people interested in it, but we have had so much support for it. People have been messaging me left, right and centre going, I love this idea. I want to write something. Um, so I've been really pleased with it. Um, and and we are going to um, we are going to be giving the royalties to a charity to help um, that I think it's you. Ukrainian um, humanitarian relief aid. Sorry, uh, my brain's not working <laughs> so so well. But uh, yes, um, basically, um, the royalties are going to help those who've been affected by the war in Ukraine. So it's really been interesting to see how people have responded to um, to, to the you know, to the war in, in Ukraine and and how people have responded to Russian creatives as well and Ukrainian creatives because I've sometimes found this kind of um conversation where we were actually talking about this at edge lit the other day um saying about how i i, I there was basically i was speaking with a well-known writer and and they were talking about how they they were completely confused by how some people you know wanted to um you know not have tchaikovsky or not um you know to to sort of ban books by um russians written hundreds of years ago um and this author was you know really saying i i just don't get it <laughs> um and and i'm i'm sort of very interested in this idea you know that i mean this this leads on to a huge topic but it's it's interesting because so many of the well known books by russians are talking about the human state and the human condition and how um, basically um, about how the Soviet Union wasn't good for people. And so I think those, I personally, I think those books should be in circulation. I think we need to read about what the ordinary Russian felt in those times so we can empathise with them Um so yeah, that that's kind of my take on it. That I think it's always valuable to read from these people who've lived through those experiences. 
um, I'm half Russian myself, but I'm also half Latvian. And so if you know anything, well, that's the thing most people don't know much about Latvia, but poor Latvia basically was stuck between the Soviets and the Nazis in World War Two. And they had a horrible time of it. Um, and so I have always been interested in kind of that grey area of, of, of a, you know, kind of like person who's absolutely torn between two regimes that are really not working, you know, well, that are. And, and, and to see how real people had to cope in those situations, you know, um, absolutely fascinating. And definitely I would point people to, Again, just finding out more about history, about how these all, how these countries are all interlinked, and yeah, what the people actually had to cope with at that time, and they had huge amounts of horrible stuff to deal mm. with, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so the 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 call for the call for we is open now or opening in in the after the summer. When do people do that? Yeah, it's going to be um we've got a weekend when we're opening it up in october so i would again off <laughs> it's gone <laughs> from my memory but one of the early weekends in october so if you go and check out the lunar press publishing website um if you go to submissions you will see all the details about it so we've just that's kind of what lunar press publishing does they um have a very small submission window and um it's uh, so, so we we thought yeah we'd, we'd go with a small submission window but hope that everyone's yeah. ready for it when it comes round, and we gave people lots and lots of notice um so that they had like around four months so that they could read the book or reacquaint themselves with a book, generate ideas, and then hopefully write a really, really good short that story. That sounds wonderful. Um, m moving back to your work, uh, you have this collection coming out from Newcon Press, uh, Umbilical. Uh, w what kind of time period does that represent in, you know, of your work? You know, how, what's the sort of oldest story you can or, or, or when did the oldest story start and sort of it runs up, I guess, to the last couple of years, right? Oh, yes, definitely. Um, well, I've been, I think my first published short story was about 12 years ago. Um, so, but I, I don't think it's, um, I would probably say it's mostly work from the past seven mm. or eight years with some of the most with some brand new ones that I've written. So um so I think there's I think there's about four brand new ones in there, but the rest of the work has been published in anthologies or magazines and it probably rec represents about a decade's worth of work. Um, not all the not all the short stories, but obviously the ones that I felt tied in with the theme of umbilical. So it's really a you know a lot of it is about motherhood, but it's in the wider scope. It's kind of about the bonds that connect us to one another. Yeah, I was going to say that title umbilical. You can you can read it in so many ways, right? Where did the because there's there's a story in there called umbilical, which was in Parsec. Did you always know that that would be the title for the collection or did that sort of emerge as you were putting the collection together? It was, um, Umbilical is 
uh, again, it's a, it's a very, it's actually a short story. So it's actually only a couple of thousand words long. Um, and I kind of knew that it connected with people because, well, for a start, I was crying when I was, <laughs> it's another one of those, Gareth, where, you, you know, I crying more <laughs> than maybe than the reader. But I, I felt very emotional when I was writing it. Um, and then when I, when my crit group um, read it and quite a few grown men <laughs> in the crit group said that they found it quite emotional. And I thought, okay, I think it's working then. <laughs> so um, I felt that it was, um, I felt it was connecting with people. So I, it, it made sense then for it to be kind of the cornerstone of the collection. But yeah, you'd, you'd have to read. You'd have to read the story. But it's in Parsec issue four. If anyone is a subscriber, does it open the collection, or is it sort of midway through? Where, where did you place it sequence wise? Yeah, it's, it's midway through, about a third of the way through, I think. Yeah, so I I, I spent a lot of time on um, arranging the collection. It's a really interesting process because I've helped. Um, I've edited a number of short story collections for like single author uh, collections in my freelance editing work. Um, and I've put together a lot of anthologies as well. So I, I've done a lot of this for other people, basically. Um, and so I didn't feel it was too hard to do it. Um, but basically, once I spoke to um, my editor, Ian Waits, about um, is it OK to mash together SF and fantasy um, and horror? And he was like, yes, absolutely. So when I knew that he was on board with me doing that, um, I just kind of went for it and kind of thought, yeah, let's put in, let's make it all, you know, I'll, I'll put a... Um, I put sci-fi next to a fantasy, but then I have a horror next. And I sort of try to sort of make it as um, different um, for the reader. So they'd get a kind of quite different reading experience, sort of going from one story to the next, literally sort of with, you know, I was working out, or this this story is written from my first person point of view, but it's also quite short. And this one has a male protagonist and this has... um, a female protagonist or something. So I try, I try to make it as different as possible, even sort of looking at the endings. This is quite an upbeat ending and this is quite a, this is quite a sad ending. So I was trying to make it quite mixed for the reader, so be nice variety for them. Um, but I, I literally only finished proofreading it a couple of weeks ago. And I think as most writers say, when you get to the end of that, that point where you've kind of proofread it and you've edited it, and then proofread it so many times, you almost can't see the wood for the trees because you're like, did I write this? Is is Will anyone write this? I don't know. I've read it so many times. I'm not even sure, <laughs> you know, you sort of, but it's it's very much a thing that writers get when you are so well acquainted with your own work. You just don't have that objectivity anymore. So I'm going to have to step back from it. Uh, for a while until sort of publication date on the 23rd of August when I might start to look just you know flick through it and go oh yeah I like that one (laughs) (laughs) so something you said something you said to me in an email I think was along the lines of that the the real satisfaction was in completing it in writing it and and the you know you 
getting the positive reviews is is really gratifying but that you sort of you have that process of of sort of writing it and and feeling that you've completed it with, with the with these stories and, and also with your interesting kind of like psychology did you find yourself sort of understanding yourself better through the stories oh oh yeah absolutely every single story i write is for me to help me to better understand mm. myself so really the whole, you know, in, in many ways, you could say short story writing is incredibly, you know, egotistical <laughs> or, you know, it's it's about um, the fact that I'm thinking, well, hey, this story is really all about me, but I'm sure somebody will want to read it. So I'm going to put it out there, <laughs> you know, but I mean, really, you know, it, it's again, it's that quandary of writers, isn't it? They're like, yes, we are going to write and a lot of it we might pour quite a lot of ourselves into it but then there's that point where you have to let it go and and you do have to be confident enough or egotistical enough to go yeah I think this deserves to be in the world I think people will connect with it um but I think with a lot of these stories that's what I mean about for me the create the actual creation of the story is the most important bit um because when I write a short story I do learn so much more about myself because I want to put the protagonist in so many different situations because I want to test myself, what would I do? And I want to put them into the most kind of scary or most heartbreaking situations. And I want to work through whether I would go through that in a particular way and how would I would react. So, And the, and the actual process of creation for me is, is incredibly, I find it, not only incredibly relaxing, but I find it like really healing as well. Um, so yeah, for, for me, the, the actual act of creation is the real gift. Um, and of course, funnily enough, one of, one of the protagonists in one of the stories is an artist and she, she actually goes through her creative process and she talks about how, how fulfilling it is to her. Um, that's interesting. That's really interesting. But I, I'm also wondering because because you've you're writing and you're also editing and you're also publishing. So there's a kind of there's like a triple focus, right? You're thinking you're thinking as an editor. You're also thinking as a publisher, which is a you know a different set of decisions again. Mm. Do do you fence all that off very well when you're writing, or do you find your kind of you know your editor self sort of popping its head up and uh, you know, while you're actually in that creative process or, or do you have it nicely fenced off? Yeah, I, t I tend to have it nicely fenced off because I think the first draft, uh, I mean, and my, I think my first drafts tend to be quite clean, actually. I don't go and tinker with them, but that's because when I do a first draft, um, and this is something that I learned from Alison Moore and it made me absolutely relieved when I heard because she's like I'm a really big fan of Alison Moore's writing and her short stories uh, so do go and check them out if 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 some people haven't heard of Alison Moore um, but she um, I remember her saying that um, she felt that she couldn't really progress and, and write extra um, that day until she'd gone back and just sort of read it and then maybe edited, you know, the paragraph or two before and felt she was happy with that. Um, and I, I do that as well. So I don't tend to just start off a brand new paragraph. I'm like, let me just read the page that I 
wrote yesterday and let me just it helps me get back in the zone and I can tinker with a few things here and there um, but generally you know it, it helps me to progress to the new paragraph and it does help me to tidy up as I go so that when I get to the end of a short story it hopefully is more again a case of the last edit will be more of a tidy than a complete oh my gosh this absolutely needs to be chopped apart right so that's that's kind of how I work, but I'm very much kind of thinking that first draft um, is such a pleasurable experience. It's just about this is me and my story. An editor hasn't rejected it yet, <laughs> or accepted it, or whatever. But it's just me and the story, and I get to live in this world for a bit before anyone else gets to live in that world. And it's just the most amazing feeling, I think. Um, so yeah, I just I always think of the creative act as an incredibly invigorating, but also inspiring and and like I said, healing um, because our lives are just so stressful at the moment. And I think writing is something that you can do and step away from social media, step away from you know all the demands on us, and you get to escape into this wonderful world of your own making, and it's just the best, basically. <laughs> You're also a poet. Was were you were you writing poems before you were writing short stories, or the other way around? Um, kind of all at the same time. But the thing, the good, the good thing about poetry is it's. Um, I mean, a good poem can still take a while to write, but because poems are just by their very format they are short um you can write them a lot faster than a short a 6000 word short story or a 12000 word novella or a, a novel that has to be 100000 words or something so so it's much i think i started more with poems just because it felt like a lower hurdle like i felt like you don't have this huge investment. You kind of think, well, I can spend a week or two writing a poem and if no one likes it, that's fine. Um, but I think if I had sort of poured in as much um, love and time into short stories and then got nowhere with them, which would have been understandable because I wouldn't have been very good to begin with, then I think that might have been quite disappointing. Um, so I think kind of poems help me to get used to rejections, <laughs> basically. <laughs> Um, in a sort of more kind of um, way that I didn't um, give up on writing. So, yeah, so I, I could I could carry on writing because there would be always, I could always spend another day or two or a week writing more poems and feel that I was making progress. But with short stories, you still have to invest quite a lot of time. And certainly with a novel, I mean, months, if not years. So... Well, that's a good link because you, you're you're also you mentioned at the beginning novels. Um, it, it was was that like was that a natural kind of progression for you to go from short stories to novels? You, was that part of the plan, basically? Yes, I mean, I mean, I I just like writing in so many different forms because they all they all feed into one another, and they both um, you get to like even even if you write if you write poetry. With poetry, you have to become so succinct. You have to be so careful about your word choice because every single word matters in a poem because if it's only eight or ten lines, it absolutely has to um, be there for a reason. And so writing a poem 
gives a novelist a very good sense of what words need to be there. Um, because you could go on for great pages of description. And yet, again, what you would look at that and go, well, actually, does it all need to be there? Um, and, it, you know, it makes you look at the sentences on a, on a sort of on a micro level again, just even cutting a sentence. Well, do we need that adjective and do we need that adverb? And, you know, I think I think writing poetry and writing novels can help to inform one another. Um, and, you know, the same with short stories. It, it does it. They the short stories, you get immediately a sense of the pacing and that helps to inform you. You get um like when you're writing a novel, you can go, well, hang on, I can slow down now because I've got more words. But with a short story, you have to realize, oh, I have to speed up now because I've only got two or 3,000 words to play with. So, right, yeah, they all really help one another. So I would recommend that to any writer to, to, to you know, sometimes just have fun playing in writing in different um, forms because you'll learn a lot from it. Mm-hmm. And and can you can you tease any of the of the novels or or are they still in the kind of the early stages? Um. Well, uh, one of the what my novel at the moment, um, I can't, which I can't, I, I can't really talk much about, but it, it is called Bluebeard's Theatre. Um, <laughs> so that might give you a sense um, of what it might be about. Uh, but it's basically the Bloody Chamber by Angela Carter mashed together with the Prestige by Christopher Priest. Oh, so, that's an interesting comp. Yeah, so I'm just hoping someone will like that, <laughs> basically. Uh, you, you mentioned Piranesi earlier, and I, I was wondering what what other sort of authors and books have have really kind of got stuck in your head recently. Uh, in in addition to that one, um, well, I would I would say um, her earlier novel, which I'm probably going to get this wrong now, <laughs> but um, is it? Uh, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, or is it Mr. Norrell and Jonathan Strange? My mind is just gone. <laughs> there is a universe where it's the one way around, and there is a there is a universe where it's the other way around. So I think we can we can, we can deal with it. <laughs> yeah. That that's an amazing book, which is you know you could, I don't know whether you'd call it historical fantasy, but it's historical fiction, but it's also fantastical. It's got magic in there. It's got these dark fairies. I mean, it's amazing. It's just my kind of book um and i just think lots of people love that concept so much and they love the world um and i do write historical fiction as well which um i don't i don't know why i kind of berate myself for doing it because historical fiction is one of the i I do think it's one of the hardest genres to write because the huge amount of research that is necessary it's just it it can be overwhelming there's so much you have to do if you want to get stuff right um and yet i'm absolutely drawn to it because i find it so um enlightening to learn about um history and to learn about how people lived in the past and how again psychologically they really weren't very different from us they still had those those same needs as we have today um and the same kind of relationships and the same struggles internal struggles and external struggles so i find it absolutely fascinating 
to do historical research, but there's a lot to be done when you're writing historical fiction. And then what I like to do, again, is weave in either science fiction, so some sort of technological development, or fantasy. Um, and then you have to sort of do a whole lot of world building for that as well. <laughs> so it's kind of, it's really hard, but I love it. I absolutely love it. So yeah, so Susanna Clark, she's just like the best, basically. Okay, that's a good recommendation. So, so, um, well, th- thank you very much for talking to me. Um, uh, good luck with the good luck with umbilical, and uh, and do check out the November Room, uh, which is on Interzone Digital. And if you haven't subscribed to Interzone, the print magazine, go to Interzone Press. Uh, every subscription helps. Definitely. Well, thank you very much, Gareth. You've been listening to Interzone Pod with me, Gareth Jelly, the editor of Interzone and Interzone Digital, and my guest, Taker Maria Smits. Thank you for listening. See you next time.